There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time to say All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Another short show. But hey, the Royals won, so I can't be too mad, I guess. This is RCST. I'm Derek Johnson, and along with me is the saddest man, at least in Lawrence. I don't know. That might be overkill. Richie Boswell is with me. A couple weeks ago was the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, and me and Richie, or I think it's Richie and I, both did a player draft of the players in the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, and we went back and forth. We had certain designations. We had the same amount of players. Whichever person's team scored more points out of the players was the winner. The other was the loser. And Richie was the loser by a pretty fair amount. I think it was around like a 40 to 50 point loss for you. Um, Richie is part of the bet. We, we were trying to decide what the loser should do. Some things that got brought up, eat dog food. And I said, oh, I think that would be a good one. But you said no. And then it was, hey, why don't we, you could eat something spicy. And I said, okay, well, then why don't you eat a habanero? Because those are really hot. And Richie, what was your response? I said, that's fine. You said, that's fine because I love spicy food and that won't be a big deal. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, you know, I like spicy food too, but eating a habanero is still really freaking hot. Yeah. So how long after you lost did you figure out like, did you think a habanero was like a jalapeno or something? Uh, I want to say, I don't think, I mean, I just, I I had it in a dish one time, and I was like, okay, that's pretty <laughs> spicy. Okay. 
But you know what? That's but it's a very small amount. You weren't actually eating a habanero plane. Yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. And so then you came to realize that oh no, I actually am in trouble here. This could be problematic. But then for whatever reason, when you went to the store to go pick up your pepper, what did you come out with? I um I didn't get a habanero. I decided, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm gonna raise the stakes because I want uh, I want to give the audience what uh what they want. And I came out with um, this uh, Carolina Reaper pepper. And um, to put it in perspective, it's the hottest pepper in the in the world. <laughs> so not only did you basically <laughs> diss the habanero and then start to realize, oh no, that's gonna actually be really hot. You decided to say, you know what? Screw that. Let's go with the hottest pepper in the world. Okay. Yep. Good decision. To, to, to put it in perspective, it's about uh, <laughs> you know, it's a hundred thousand Scoville units for a habanero. It's about two hundred. This is uh two point two million. Mm, so twenty times that is that the right math there? Uh, I think so. That's insane. So we will have Richie eat that as punishment coming up in our next segment. He is going to have to eat that, and then we're going to play a game that he's going to have to participate in. Uh, Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports is going to join us at about 5.30 to preview the college football season with some uh, of my favorite over-under win totals. But first, the Kansas City Chiefs play tonight in their second exhibition game. And if you remember, the preseason schedule was moved down to three weeks. This is going to be a more extensive look at the starters. I haven't seen what Andy Reid has said in terms of how long the starters are going to play, but certainly you'd think they're going to play more than they did in week one when most of the starters played two or three drives. And specifically for Patrick Mahomes, it was just one series, which ended up just being, I believe, four or five plays. It's going to be more than that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Mahomes and the whole first team offense might play not just through the first quarter, but maybe even the whole first half. And I'm not totally sure how they're going to handle it because. Now that it is the three-game preseason, typically the third week is when you see the starters play the most. So week one is like what we saw last week. Week two, you might see them play through the first quarter into the second quarter. By the time you get to week three, the starters might play the whole first half. But now that it's a three-week preseason, does the second week of the preseason replace what was week three where this is going to be the game? the preseason week where they play the most or are we still going to see that in week three which would be next week where we play them they play the most even though it's closer to the start of the season I don't know how they're going to operate that but I would think that this would be the one that they play the most it's going to be on ESPN tonight against Arizona so specifically again the thing I'm most interested in seeing obviously the caveat that everyone wants to say can you just stay healthy can you keep Patrick Mahomes healthy yes that is the number one thing of importance but specifically tonight What I'm going to be keeping an eye on, same thing I kept an eye on in the 49ers game, is the offensive line and what they can open up in the running game. We saw the big 10-yard run against the 49ers, and and I don't want this to sound like, well, the difference for the Chiefs being a successful offense is they have to run the ball. No, they've proven they don't need that. But when you have the running game on top of what they already have as the passing game, All of a sudden, maybe it is the difference, not necessarily, but in a given season, like you look at 2018, when you were top quarter of the league in rushing yards per attempt, not talking total rushing yards, but rushing yards per attempt. So when you do it, how efficient you are, when they were top quarter in the league at that, they had the number one offense in the NFL. Last two years, they haven't been in the top 10 
of that stat, and they've been one of the best offenses, but statistically they haven't been number one, and that's the goal, to be number one. So what can the offensive line look like in a fuller-ish version of this? You're going to be going against Arizona, who has Chandler Jones, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. And then you have the running game aspect with just the running backs in general. Like, can Clyde Edwards-Alaire look like that guy who is going to take that big step and look like that kind of all-pro running back you were hoping him to, considering the offense he's in, with the coaching staff he's in, with the players around him, and now that offensive line in front of him. As far as the passing game, I'll mostly be paying attention to what's the deal with McCole Hardman, not just in terms of how he performs. He had the drop last week. But when is he getting snaps? Zero of his snaps came in two receiver sets. And if the Chiefs are going to play with two running back sets or with two tight end sets, that means you're taking a receiver off the field and you're not using a three-receiver set. So if he's still not getting those two-receiver sets, then all of a sudden it might be more trouble to worry about with McCole Hardman because that would be a second straight week that would occur, but that would probably be good news for a guy like Demarcus Robinson who was getting those snaps a week ago. We'll talk more about the Chiefs game coming up on Monday. Let's take a time out here when we come back. The moment you've been waiting for, Richie Yay. eating a Carolina Reaper. This yeah. is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Richie Boswell. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. All right. Moment that everyone has been waiting for except for Richie. He is on pins and needles. I've never seen him this this nervous. Richie Boswell in studio. I'm Derek Johnson. David Conover has come in. He's apparently going to eat a piece of the Carolina Reaper as well. I would just like to say, this is all volunteered from you guys. I have no, like, legal... I don't know. I, I have no legal issues here because I told you to do a habanero... You decided to get this on your own power. You're deciding to eat this. You lost the bet. You decided to join that. David, you're opting in to eat this on your own. This is not my decision, but am I going to enjoy it? Maybe a little bit. So without further ado, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a game. And again, this is because you lost the bet in the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic draft. I had more points than you. Almost doubled you up in points. You have to eat the spicy pepper. <laughs> so here's what we got. We've got a game for you here. It's a 12-week college football regular season. Depending how you do will depend if your season moves on. The name of the game is all... You're, you're a Texas fan. You're going to be part of the SEC. So this is part of your punishment as well. All SEC preseason football team member or actor in the TV series Ted Lasso. Oh, God. And for you to be able... You have a bunch of milk in, milk in front of you. To be able to drink some of the milk... You have to answer correctly. So you can you can drink the milk as, as long as you want after you answer a correct question until I need your answer for the next one, okay? All right, let's just do it already. All right. First one. Wait, do I need to eat this first? Oh, yes, you do need All to right. eat that. That would have been a big blunder. All right, so the pepper's being eaten. And this is, what, two million on the Scoville? Okay, it's already hitting, Richie. Um, I don't even know if we're going to be able to do the game. Let's do it! All right, week one, Tank Bigsby. Oh, my... What? Tank Bigsby. Um, Ted Lasso. Wrong, you can't take a drink. Ah. That is the Auburn running back. This is your own fault. Texas is in the SEC. Matt Corral, don't touch your eyes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Matt Corral. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, yeah. that, that is correct. Drink some milk. Matt Corral is the quarterback for Ole Miss. Oh. Uh, James, La- James Lance. Oh. You're one and one on the year. Oh, goodness. Um, Did you just eat another one? No. Jesus. You're doing a great job not cussing. I do have the oh. dump button ready in case. Say his name again. James Lance. Um... <laughs> do um at Ted Lasso. That's correct. Trent Krim of the Independent. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, two and one. You can keep drinking. I'm good. If you want. I'm good. John Mechie the third. Um, woo! Uh, it's oh, it's hitting. Oh, that's nice. It's getting. Oh, it's a nice fuse back there. Uh, let's do uh, all SEC. That is also correct. Woo! Look at you, Richie. Woo, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. All right, you're three and one. Let's just do it. Andrea Anders. Andrea Anders. Um. Oh, that sounds like a Ted Lasso thing. Jeez. You gonna go with your gut? I'm You're going. already sweating. Yep, yep, yeah. Just, just go. Just, yep, Ted Lasso. It is Ted Lasso character oh. plays Michelle Lasso, Ted's wife, or I guess. Well, I don't want to spoil anything in the show. Josh Pascal. That sounds like all SEC. Dude. You are doing incredible. You're five and one. The fact that you haven't needed to drink more milk is pretty incredible right now. I'm holding. Okay, five and one. No, I'm giving what the people want. You're going another one? I'm doing another one. No way. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, Richie, meanwhile, five and one. I don't know if he'll be able to. Ah. Con- okay, JT Daniels. Ah. That's SEC, man. Quarterback for Georgia. Look at this. Richie is already an SEC champion. He he must be listening to a lot of Paul Feinbaum oh. with Texas moving over to the SEC. Jeremy Swift. <laughs> Ted Lasso. Jeremy Swift plays Higgins in Ted Lasso. <laughs> I'm just guessing, man. I'm on a What this tells me is always believe in your gut because there is no way your mind is working right now through all of this. Zamir White. My nose is running. That, was, uh, that sounds like all SEC. This is incredible. Eight and one for Richie. You got to keep going, man. Yes, just do it. Ricky Stromberg. That sounds like, that sounds like uh, a Ted Lasso. Oh, you finally got one wrong. He is the center for the Arkansas football team. All right, still eight and two. Really good season. Toheeb Jamo. Oh, that sounds like SEC. That is not correct oh. either. Yeah. Plays Sam Obasanya. My personal favorite in Ted Lasso. Okay, eight and three. You got to get back on uh, on the good bus here. You can't. Nope, oh. nope. You got it wrong. <laughs> Trying to drink milk in front of me. Get out of here. I can take my time on this one. Make you suffer. Josh Job. Uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, man, Richie, you are falling apart here. Pepper's gotten you. Why are you taking another bite? What are you I'm doing? giving what the people want. Oh, my goodness. I think people feel bad for you at this point. You've Focus, already taken yo. many bites. You're 8-4. and four. It's starting to hit the chest. It's starting <laughs> to hit the chest. Wait till it hits the uh, backside. Oh, I'm telling you. All right, eight and four. You didn't make your conference championship because you tanked at the end of the season. You are in a solid bowl game. Oh, I can't swallow. 
Smoke Monday. What the heck is that? <laughs> it's the feeling in your mouth come Monday. Smoke Monday? Yeah. I don't know. Is it, am I still doing Ted Lasso? I'm not even thinking right now. Do you um, even know what the game is anymore? No, I don't. Ted, La- Ted Lasso, I don't know. Incorrect. You oh. got your last four wrong. Well, shut up, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> and that means you can't drink milk. For the rest of the day. Oh my God! I just broke the poster <laughs> back here. Oh no! This is incredible. This is what Brian Haney put Richie, up. Richie, I literally just tore it. You're a good sport. You can actually drink the milk. Eight and five, all oh things considered, solid season for Richie Boswell. Uh, this is gonna be. I don't even know how we transition from here. Uh, but Scott Chasen. Of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net is going to join us next. Stephen Lassen at 5.30. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Don't lose bets. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Scott Chasen, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Scott, more starts in 2021. Miles Kendrick at quarterback or the field? That's a good question, Derek. I think for me, Miles Kendrick, at this point, you almost have to kind of handicap him as the prohibitive favorite to be that sort of game one starting quarterback. And I think the reason why everything, you know, is everything that's been said thus far. Um, You know, I I just did a media day feature on him where, you know, I talked to like 10, 12 people uh, and just asked questions about Miles Kendrick and Miles Kendrick's stories and all these things. And what the coaches say is the same thing as what the players say, which is the same thing as, like, I guess what you see when, you know, you were at that open practice that I also was at, which is he's just consistent. He's not the best. He doesn't have the best arm. He's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have these amazing tools. But I think at this point he's probably established himself as the guy who knows the plays best, the guy who's most consistent. Um, Without saying it, you know, directly, those are the things that you would highlight with Kendrick and, um, it certainly sounds like those have him in a good chance to, or in a good position to where he could win the job. So long answer, but another way, yeah, I, I think Miles Kendrick is probably a slight money favorite on that. Now, I told you last week or two weeks ago that, that I think Kansas will use multiple quarterbacks. I think what Lance Leipold said last week also indicates that Kansas is probably going to use multiple quarterbacks. That may not mean different starters, um, but it almost guarantees that there will be packages probably for Jason Bean. Um, maybe for Jalen Daniels, I don't know. But uh, maybe Miles Kendrick, if you're asking me, will another quarterback start more games than him? I don't know if it, if I could combine everyone else. I don't know that it'd be Kendrick, but I'd probably say Kendrick will have the most starts of any quarterback this year. Yeah, and when I asked those questions to Lance Leipold last week, you know, I, I think it, it was, if you combine that with his history, I don't think it's telling to say that, yeah, he's going to stick with one guy or he's not going to stick with one guy. But I do think the one consistent thing you're going to see is, and uh, among those answers, Miles Kendrick might not end up being the guy past a certain point, right? But I think mm-hmm. one thing that's going to be different with this staff as opposed to what happened maybe more than what we saw under, we didn't really see this under Les Miles, but more so under David Beatty, and I guess last year with Les Miles, was that there's going to be a longer leash for that quarterback, similar probably to more what we saw in 2019 with Carter Stanley, where he started the whole season, but it was, what, week three against Boston College, where after I think he threw an interception early in the game, he was like, hey, let's give him one more drive. Yeah, well, Les Kenning was the one who said that on Miles to Go, and 
Yeah, I mean, look, the difference between Kansas and Buffalo quarterback situation is really, really stark. And I think you pointed out the other day um, that maybe Buffalo had a guy throw for 16 touchdowns and 15 picks and kept him in there. Yeah, Joe Lacano. And and that's not the greatest, but that would be like the second-best Kansas quarterback season in like a decade plus. Uh, Maybe not a decade, but in a long, long time. And, you know, Jalen Daniels, what I think he had one touchdown pass and like uh, counting fumbles, probably four, five, six, seven turnovers. And, you know, Miles Kendrick was six and five in terms of touchdowns and interceptions. So, you know, yes, I think if someone is throwing a touchdown or two every week, that guy probably has a great chance to remain in there. But at the same time, you know, I, I think Lance Leipold for this year specifically will be comfortable embracing change because I think it's very clear that there are two quarterbacks in that room with bigger upside than the guy who's probably most likely to be the starter at this point. You know, for what Miles Kendrick is, for what he can be, if it's running the offense the right way, if it's making the right decisions, he does have those kind of, you know, physical limitations. And, you know, that was kind of the point of the feature I wrote, which is, you know, he's small. He doesn't have the arm. He didn't have any offers out of high school. Um, you know, he had one opportunity at a, a D1 FBS program. They told him to move the slot, which, you know, I, I don't even think that would be a good fit for him because he's not the fastest guy. Um, and I don't know how his receiver skills are. But, you know, it, it's just he's the guy that at least to this point seems to really understand it. Um, and if he's the guy that isn't making mistakes in practice, you know, that he's going to be the guy the coaches end up going with until they feel confident enough about another guy or until things get bad enough that they feel like they have to make a change. But, you know, it'll be a balancing act. It's uncomfortable probably for Lance Leifold. I think it's uncomfortable for any offensive guy who's worked with quarterbacks uh, to go into a season thinking, you know, multiple quarterbacks are going to play. But I think what we've also seen is that Kansas football is usually the exception to, you know, people's personal philosophies as compared to, well, I've always done this so I can continue to do this. I think it it is more conducive uh, to welcoming those kinds of changes and seeing what can happen. How wide do you think the lead is for Kendrick over other guys? Because on one hand, you could tell me, well, we still have two weeks till the start of the regular season, and it's only been about two weeks in camp. So in theory, we're only halfway there. Everything that's just happened could happen another way over the final half of this thing. But also, it feels like everything that's come out so far would lead you to believe he is in uh, at least the first seat there. Who knows? So how far away do you think that that discrepancy is, that lead is for Kendrick as far as being QB1, if, if that is the case? Yeah, I think how I described it in the story I just published was that, you know, it's impossible to say if he actually is in first because they're not going to come out and say right. that. Um, now, we can obviously infer from what we've seen that it's, you know, kind of looks like he is in first. But, you know, I think the way I put it in there was there is no one ahead of Miles Kendrick. And that's largely the way I classified it. You know, going into the competition last year, I felt there was no one ahead of Thomas McVitty. Uh, same with Carter Stanley. I wasn't sure Carter Stanley was going to beat out Thomas McVitty in 2019 or whatever year that was. I think a lot of us didn't know. But, I think there was confidence based off the quotes from camp that no one was at least ahead of Carter Stanley. If Thomas McVitie was in first, it was a neck and neck kind of a thing that there was a guy that no one was ahead of. And that, that usually ends up being the guy because you get all those quotes for a reason. Um, I, I was honestly blown away just talking to players at media day, how many of them were ready to say, you know, uh, kind of more personalized endorsements. You know, typically players shy away from those kinds of comments, especially during your quarterback battle. I mean, just today we spoke to Ron McGee on the defensive line. He was asked about the quarterbacks, 
and he gave an answer where he both said that they play, they all play the same, and that they all have differences that make them great. Which <laughs> that's just you know he's he's just trying not to say anything. He doesn't want to tip his hand, and yet you know if you read the story, one of the players in there literally says he says he's you know he's rooting for all the quarterbacks. I mentioned that he says you know he, he hopes every quarterback does well, and then he says. But I'm rooting for Miles Kendrick, and I think that tells you that you know that it's it's kind of a I don't know if surreal is the right word, but it's it's definitely a unique situation where this guy has put in work year after year after year, and it seems like because we still don't know, um, it seems like he he has a great shot. This is probably the best shot he's had to go out and win the starting job, and. You know, I, I think a big part of that is because there's no one's guy uh, on staff. You know, Peyton Bender was David Beatty's guy. Carter Stanley certainly was not uh, David Beatty's guy. But, you know, Thomas McVitie was kind of Les Miles' guy. Carver, Carter Stanley had to go out and beat him. Carter Stanley had to go out and earn his starting spot. Um, you know, this year you have Jason Bean, who was largely recruited by Emmett Jones and the former staff members. Uh, there's no Buffalo loyalty to Jason Bean. There's no Buffalo loyalty to Miles Kendrick. There's no Buffalo loyalty to Jalen Daniels. There's, you know, Buffalo coaches now in Kansas. Their loyalty is who do I trust? And so I think for now that's the thing that uh, is determining this competition. And that's why I think a lot of us have independently talking to the people we all talk to have kind of arrived at, at maybe not a conclusion, but this idea that, yeah, Miles Kendrick has a, a really, really good shot to maybe be the starting quarterback, and it, it just boils down to what they're looking for. They don't want mistakes. They want you to run the plays right, and they want someone they can trust. All right, honest question that I might feel stupid about asking. Um, if, if the QB for KU is more so going to be kind of that game manager and not asked to do as much but not mess up, is it no longer the most important position on the field for this team? That's a, that's a good question, actually. I think it probably... It probably still is the most important position on the field just because of the nature of, I, I don't know, getting everyone lined up the right way, making the decisions if there are decisions to be made and plays that have options, you know, still making those big throws. But, you know, I, I kind of came away from last year with the opinion that, you know, quarterback is the most important position in sports, but offensive line is the most important position group because if you have a bad offensive line, there's nothing you can do to get around it. And so, you know, I think for KU, so much of what ends up happening is not just how good or how physical or whatever the offensive line is. It's how scheme um, adept isn't the right word. I guess how much does that scheme set in to where those guys are on the same page? They're running the plays correctly. They're executing on what the, the Scott Fuchs and Lance Leipold kind of blocking scheme is with the wide zone system, you know, running the ball. Can the running backs pick it up? Like, I think that stuff determines so much more about this offense. And yes, Miles Kendrick, Jalen Daniels, Jason Bean, whoever it is, they're going to have to make big throws. I mean, that's just the nature of the position. You know, eventually you've got to beat someone with your arm talent. You've got to hit a receiver 40 yards down the field. You underthrow that ball. You can't get your full body into it, whatever. I mean, those plays win and lose you games. But I think probably in the macro, the bigger thing for KU this year is just, can you understand what's going on? So, yeah, I still think quarterback probably the most important position, but I think a lot of this team will hinge on the offensive line. And when I say a lot, I mean, that could be the dif- the difference between a zero-win team where most of your losses are by 20 or 30 or 40 points like last year, or like a two- or a three-win team where maybe you sneak a, a couple games in there. Yeah, and I just, 
I, I don't know. I asked your uh, 24-7 sports compadre, Kevin Flaherty, on Tuesday, kind of a similar thing in, in regards to, you know, would you rather have a top-half quarterback in the Big 12 but the worst offensive line or a top-half offensive line but the worst quarterback position? And I, I think it's kind of interesting because on one hand, you know, the quarterback position is so important and having that guy changes things so much. But on the other hand, after what we saw last year, like, I, I guess there's differences in are you just the worst in the Big 12 or are you one of the worst in the country? Because last year wasn't just worse in the Big 12. It was one of the worst in the country. But it basically made it impossible for the offense to run. And it basically made it impossible, like, quite honestly, to give a full evaluation of guys like Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels because it's like, how much did you want them to do behind that offensive line last year? So I would almost this year, specifically, just in terms of it being year one under Lance Leipold and being able to develop young guys at skill positions at the quarterback position, I'd rather have the good offensive line in the worst quarterback position, which I don't know if that answers the question to, is it the most important being that it's a game manager? But I do think to properly evaluate everything, you do at least need a competent offensive line this year. I'll take this a step further. And, you know, people are welcome to call me crazy at Chase and Scott. If you want to call (laughs) me crazy personally on Twitter, Um, I would rather have the, fifth best offensive line in the Big 12 and the 10th best quarterback than the second best offensive line in the Big 12 or excuse me than the second best quarterback in the Big 12 and the 10th best offensive mm. line. I'd rather have the fifth best offensive line uh, you know regardless of quarterback than I would to have the second best quarterback with no line because that guy's going to get injured, that guy's going to get pushed around. I mean maybe if you have a generational talent whatever, maybe you can eat some losses and then try to attract a new line to build around. But at the end of the day, you know, Brent Dearman said this last year, and Brent Dearman, you know, for what he was, shockingly honest in press conferences, <laughs> he said bluntly, and you probably remember this, he said, we can't pass, we can't, th- uh, we can't run, I'm trying to find a third way to move the ball. <laughs> like, that is the most honest quote you can get from an offensive coordinator, specifically talking about the ability to block and, and protect a quarterback and, and run an offense. If you can't block, you can't do anything. You can't run, and the run game can't take pressure off the quarterback. Guys can rush three or four and immediately demolish your line. You know, I'm reminded of that Oklahoma game, which to me is the worst Kansas has looked, other than maybe there was like a 60-6 to loss to Baylor in there somewhere. Uh, to me, it's the worst Kansas has looked in years. And the reason why was that offensive line. It allowed nine sacks. And the last one, or the last one that knocked Jalen Daniels out of the game and injured him, both the left and right tackle positions were just immediately demolished. And Daniels sees one coming, turns away to maybe escape, and just gets sandwiched between them and injured. And then I thought it was a microcosm of everything, that he's sitting on the bench afterward, like a, like on the sidelines. And I think Ben Miles blocked someone, and they got, kind of got pushed into him, and it knocked the bench over, and he fell into a wall. And it was like, can someone protect this guy? <laughs> like, even when he's sitting on the literal bench. Um, I thought that was just such a microcosm of Kansas' this season, and it's why they've brought in transfers. It's why they brought in two centers and a, a guard-slash-tackle. It's why they'll have new starters and super seniors and change things around. And it's in part why they have a new coach, a new offensive line coach, a new scheme. It's just offensive line is so important. And, you know, people don't know their names unless you're like Hakeem Adeniji. Um, You know, people don't really care generally, but um, you know, you saw it with the chiefs. You saw what the chiefs looked like in the super bowl. 
Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. He's still making amazing throws. But what does it matter if you have, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the history of football, you know, entering his prime, if you don't have an offensive line that can give him a second to throw, it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think this is what birthed. I remember a couple of years ago, this was a, a pretty stringent debate on this show about if Sam Bradford, like the current iteration of Sam Bradford at the time, he was still in the NFL, a guy who won Heisman in college. So he was named the best player in college football. And on top of that, he had been working on his craft, had been a professional for, at that point, I don't know, eight years or so, eight, ten years. If he would to come on to the Kansas football team, what does that look like? You know, like, are, are they winning six games? Yeah, I, I don't know. If you have last year's offensive line, like is that is that a bull team? <laughs> yeah, I, it's a that's a great question. Probably is because everyone was bull eligible yeah. and they'd love to get Sam Bradford in there. But <laughs> um, no, I, I think if you put him on the offensive line that like a few years ago had Adeniji and and what was it, Kevin? Uh, was it Feeder? Was that how you said his last name? It was either Feeder or Feeder. I can't remember. It's been a few years. But that that you know had I think Malik Clark was there. Um, I think that had like a semi-decent enough offensive line that wasn't great, but at least you had a little bit of protection. Yeah, maybe he elevates that team with kind of a, a good enough, you know, patchwork offensive line. I, I could see him elevating a team like that to, you know, maybe a six-win team, maybe a seven-whatever win team. He's an NFL quarterback. He's going to be, you know, excellent as long as he doesn't get injured. But, yeah, I think I, I've said this before. If you put Aaron Rodgers on last year's KU football team, uh, maybe you win, what, two games? You know, the Texas Tech game. Oh, it's got to be more than that, right? Absolutely not. They lost every game by 40 points. They didn't stop anyone the whole year. And wide receivers were injured. Puka Williams left the team. Um, Two, three wins. Their offensive line gave their quarterback no time. You know how many times the quarterback got injured last year? Think about this. Thomas McVitie got injured in the first game. Jalen Daniels got injured, I want to say, in the third game. And he got injured again in the Oklahoma game. Uh, I, I can't remember. He might have actually come out of another game. Uh, Thomas McVitie obviously never returned. Kansas averaged 5.22 sacks allowed, most in the nation. I believe they're one of the first or, or very few Power 5 teams that ever have ever allowed that. And you have receivers getting frustrated that they're running routes that they don't have time to run. You know, how many times did Kansas just throw it at the sticks because they couldn't throw it deeper? So that's why I say, like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers would be great. Maybe you design a whole offense to give him two receivers to throw to and you protect him with nine guys. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if you give that quarterback that offensive line from last year, I pick a pick Kyler Murray, pick anyone. Like that that team is a two three win team, and it's because they had no line. Now, if you give them two linemen, if you stick Hakeem Adeniji on that team, you move Malik Clark back to left guard, maybe stick Earl Bostic at right tackle and give me Aaron Rodgers, yeah, they'll win eight games or whatever. They'll, they'll go nine and one. They'll be, you know, an absolutely electric offense, and it'll be fantastic to watch. But I truly believe with the offensive line last year, their problems were so, so bad that, one, injuries were 100% going to happen. And I predicted that on your show literally after the first time Jalen Daniels played. Uh, you know, you guys asked, um, do you think this is good experience for him to be in the game? And I said, yes, if, if they can actually protect him because he will get injured if they keep hitting him over and over, which happened multiple times. And then, you know, you heard from uh, Jim Zabrowski just this offseason leading up to the season, and he says Jalen Daniels has PTSD just from being hit so much and not trusting his protection just because of what happened last year. So I think that's also an important reminder to remember sometimes it's not the best thing in the world. For a guy to get all these reps early, if you don't have the infrastructure in place around him to keep him healthy, to keep him protected, and actually give him a chance on some of those plays. He is Scott Chasen. He is a Sam Bradford disbeliever. 
an Aaron Rodgers disbeliever. And you can also find his work at 247sportsfog.net. Scott, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me. I don't think Aaron Rodgers will be returning my calls. All right, that was Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. We had Stephen Lassen on from Athlon Sports oh, about a month or so ago to preview the Big 12 and looking ahead to that. But now we have Stephen on, and we're going to just talk college football in general. We're almost back. We're like a week away from it being week zero, two weeks away from exactly today for KU to have their opener. Steven, thank you again for hopping on with me. How's everything going for you? Hey, Derek. It's great to talk to you. I hope the offseason is treating you well. I have to admit it. It was about a month ago, but also it feels like three years ago with the way <laughs> this offseason has gone on, man. It has been uh, so chaotic. So I'm excited to get the focus back on just talking about games and, and everything coming up for this season. Yep, and it sounds like, you know, Big 12 or Big 10, excuse me, Pac-12 and ACC Alliance is going to be coming next week. So there will be even more of that to cover uh, over the next weeks. But let's just talk the football aspect right now, what we got on the table. So we're going to go through kind of between the different conferences and look at maybe some teams we think could overperform, underperform to what they're expected. I've got some win totals for you here. So I guess we'll just start with the ACC. And obviously the question at the top, Clemson's over-under win total is 11.5. Is that a good bet to bet on that? or I feel like that's something you should just like avoid, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think when you look at their schedule, there's really only one game that Clemson, you know, is going to be kind of a, you know, a favorite under a touchdown or even 10 points, the opener against Georgia. And that game against Georgia is just such a toss up that, you know, I, I think I know who I like to win, although it's, my mind has changed about six different times in the last two months. So I would just stay away from this one because they are going to be favoring all the ACC games. That gets them to 11. Uh, you know, depending on how you feel about that Georgia game, it's just too close for me to feel good about taking an over or under on that one. Yeah, I guess if, if I wanted the over on that, I feel like I'd rather just at that point say I'll just bet on Clemson money line in the Georgia game at that situation because it's, I don't know, it might not be about the same odds, but I feel like it's going to be kind of close. What about North Carolina is 10-1 to 1 to win the ACC. That's how far of a gap there is from Clemson to North Carolina. Do you think North Carolina has a legit shot to unseat Clemson at the end of the day? Not really. I think Clemson is just so far ahead of everybody in the ACC. It is going to be difficult for North Carolina to do so. I think if you if you wanted to make the case for North Carolina to do so, um, I like Sam Howe. I think he's one of the most you know I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. The talent level at North Carolina is increasing under Mac Brown, and I also think you go back to two years ago, North Carolina gave Clemson a lot of trouble in the regular season. But if we fast forward to what happens usually in December. Clemson thoroughly dominates most of the opponents in the ACC championship game. The track record of just taking care of business in that game is very high for Clemson. So it's tough for me to see North Carolina being able to knock off uh, Clemson in the ACC championship. Even though it's a one-game scenario, I like Sam Howell. I just think it's too heavy of a lift. Okay, so these are the over-unders I circled in the conference, and I guess I'm an optimist because I have a lot of overs in this league. Um the ones that I found most intriguing, NC State at 6.5, Boston College at 7, Wake Forest at 6.5, and, 
for the overs and Florida State at five and a half. Those all four, I feel like overs. With NC State, I feel like they're constantly around a 7-8 win team, but I really like this Boston College team. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up with even eight or nine wins this season. I, even if you get seven, you get the push. Um, Wake Forest, I've always been big in on, on the Dave Clawson thing and waiting for that kind of explosive season where all of a sudden you win nine games, but I think they could win seven or eight games. Are there any of those that stick out to you the most or any of those that you feel differently that I don't know about going on the over on those? Derek, I think I first need to ask you if you have a large bottle of Tylenol next to your TV this year, because <laughs> betting on the ACC, man, is like asking for uh, for trouble and headaches. Uh, I, I think, first of all, I, I like the NC State and Boston College bets. I, I think BC has a very favorable schedule. When you look at the crossover games with the Coastal, they get Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech. That is a very winnable uh, two-game scenario from the Coastal. And you also, they get some of their tougher games at home. Really like what BC did last year under new coach Jeff Halfley. Phil Dracovic's one of the better quarterbacks, too, in the ACC. So I definitely like BC to hit the over. And I think NC State, while they have a tough schedule, on paper, they are, I think, clearly the second-best team in that division. They improved by four games from 2019 to 2020. So I'm pretty optimistic that NC State hits the over there. Florida State and Wake Forest are right there on the edge, but I would probably play the over in both cases too. Yeah, and then as far as the unders, I only have two in this conference that that look appetizing to me. One is Miami at 9.5, and and I like Miami, really like Derek King. 9.5 just seems high because, I don't know, I could see them winning eight games, even – if you're looking at like the max of what, because losing to Alabama in the first week, that obviously sets you back there. And even if you go nine and three, you get the under. And I think there is a chance that you could win just eight games this year at Miami. The other one that I like is Louisville, who is at six and a half. That just seems high to me after as bad of a year they had last year. Now, maybe there's turnover regression from a season ago, but I just wonder the state of that program, given that it almost looked like Scott Satterfield was. I don't know, maybe looking at some other jobs last season and and how committed are you there, especially after last year when you had the down year? Yeah, no question about it. I I think the the Louisville bet would be one that I think six and six is probably the more likely outcome than going seven and five and, and eight and four. The Atlantic is just so clustered, so close together. Florida State, Wake Forest, BC, Louisville. That almost playing the the under is the right call based upon how close these teams are. I think on Miami's case, I I love the under too. I mean, nine and three seems like the right call because you have the game against Alabama, you have the road trip to North Carolina, and you also just have to factor in the ACC tends to beat up on itself throughout the year. You have a loss somewhere uh, you don't expect, so I, I like the under for Miami as well. I think nine and three sounds about right. Okay, let's move on to the Big 12. And in this conference, obviously, Oklahoma is the big favorite here. Their over-under is 11 wins. So basically, it's a little different than Clemson because at that point, if they go 11-1, and worst case, you get your money back. If they go 12-0, and you win. But the thing with Oklahoma that has kind of escaped them as opposed to maybe a Clemson is the fact that Obviously, Oklahoma has had those trip-up games, whether it's to Kansas State a season ago or you just go each and every year. It feels like there's one team that upends them. Is this one that you would just avoid or being that it's 11 as opposed to 11.5, would you go the over? 
Yeah, I would I would hit the the option to go with eleven. I think if you go if you get eleven and a half, uh, I would probably take the under. Uh, certainly, Oklahoma could go undefeated, but I think kind of what you were getting at there is the track record of losing one game in the regular season. And I think that's likely, whether it's Iowa State, whether it's a trip to Kansas State, could be Texas. I think Oklahoma stumbles one. So I think if you shop around and, and get some odds where you can look at 11.5 and, and take the under, I like 11-1 for Oklahoma in the regular season. Yeah, I agree. I think 11-1 is most likely. But then if, if the number's 11, you're basically saying, well, what's more likely from there, 12-0 and or 10-2? and And I think at that point, it's definitely 12-0. and 0. What about one of the teams you mentioned who maybe that's a, a tricky team for them to beat? Obviously, they lost to them a season ago. And, heck, did I, I think it's, what, is it two in a row now losses for them? I, I can't remember now. Uh, Kansas State, their over-under is five and a half. They had a down year last year where the season started well besides the opening loss to uh, Arkansas State, and then it started well, and then they kind of tanked at the end of the year. But it's just five and a half right now. This is one I really like, the over are you a little more scared off of this, or what's your view on Kansas State of five and a half? I definitely like the the over. I think for two reasons. I think getting Skylar Thompson back is a big deal for Kansas State and sort of allows them to play that kind of style on offense that we saw under Chris Kleiman in his first season. Not to mention, it just felt like to me that Kansas State's defense was one of those groups that was hit hard by everything going on last season. So when you combine Chris Kleiman's track record, a healthy Skylar Thompson, and some reinforcements coming in through defense through the transfer portal, I think Kansas State rebounds. We've got them at 7-5 and five in the magazine. I think 6-7 wins seems pretty realistic to me. Yeah, and this is this is one that I think is interesting. TCU at 7.5. Um I, I don't know, like, how far away were they from being a Big 12? Like, if, if they beat Iowa State in that, I think, second game of the season for them a season ago and, you know, it was a one-score loss to Kansas State. Like, I don't feel like TCU was that far off of being in the Big 12 championship game last year. And with everything they have coming back, you, you typically know what you're going to get from a Gary Patterson defense. I am almost tempted to not just do the over with TCU, but also, even though I think I have Oklahoma's I don't know, maybe as good a shot as anybody to win the national title. Just the value of TCU at plus 1,500 to win the conference, I, I don't mind that. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. For I mean, first of all, on the win total, yeah, we have TCU getting to nine victories in our magazine. And I think eight and four, nine and three, very realistic. I, I like the development of Max Duggan. And not to mention, too, it's just such an unusual year. He had heart surgery before the season. And then, of course, with everything going on uh, with the young supporting cast, it felt like it took them – you know, kind of a good chunk of the season to get things going. You mentioned the defense. It should be very good once again. I think when you look at teams outside of Oklahoma, if you had to pick somebody that wasn't named Iowa State that could surprise and get there to the Big 12 championship game, I'm going to bet on TCU because I love the, the track record of defense. They've got two great corners, and they have a quarterback in Max Duggan who's headed in the right direction as far as his development goes. So I'm, I am definitely taking the over on TCU this year. All right, this is one that we've all been waiting for here. KU's over-under is one and a half. What are you taking there? I would probably take the over. Um, you know, in our magazine, we only had them at one win, but I will say in Lance Leipold, I believe, and I think they will <laughs> find a way to steal a game somewhere. Yeah, what, what do you think is the most likely there? Is it the Duke game? Is it maybe just 
throw it at the board and hope you beat somebody in conference, whether it's a Texas Tech or Baylor? Yeah, for sure. I think it is that game against Duke. Duke is very beatable. Uh, they've lost a lot of personnel, commence of the season with a question mark at quarterback. I think the Duke game is winnable. Uh, I also think the fact that Texas Tech is midway through the season is good for the Jayhawks. It gives them a couple games to figure things out under the new staff. So I would say Duke is more likely, um, but Texas Tech not too far behind as well. Okay, on to the Big Ten. The two that stood out to me, Michigan at seven and a half, Indiana at seven and a half. I I don't know how repeatable it's going to be for Indiana, especially when you think about how they won some of those games, like the Penn State game, for instance. So I'm kind of leaning under seven and a half, especially when you think of who they're playing in, in some of the non-con games. Michigan at seven and a half. If I just throw out last year and you say that, hey, we get a Jim Harbaugh coach team, I get it. It's it's not your 11-win team or anything, but all we need to do is win eight to nine games to get the over here. I feel like that's right in the wheelhouse of what Jim Harbaugh and Michigan have done. Yeah, I think so, too. I think with some of these teams, and Penn State's another example of this, we almost have to sort of separate last season from what's happened before. And Michigan is one of those teams, you look at the way Jim Harbaugh's track record to usually win eight or nine games in the recruiting, and Michigan still has a better roster than pretty much everybody in the Big Ten outside of, of Ohio State. So I think if I'm, for betting purposes, I would take the over, and I would be really sweating out those games against Indiana <laughs> and Washington. Those are the two games I'd be watching because they're, they're the swing contest. On Indiana, they're really tricky because, you know, you look at their schedule starting at Iowa and they get Cincinnati in week three, and they also have a quarterback in Michael Penix who's coming off a torn ACL. So there's a lot of unknown there. I would probably stay away from Indiana. I think based upon the turnovers and everything that you mentioned last year, some of the good fortune, it might evaporate this year. And if Michigan and Penn State are better, that indirectly hurts Indiana. So I would, if I'm betting, I would probably bank on the under and say seven and five seems about right. Whereas Michigan is more likely to overachieve and hit the over. Okay, on to the West Coast with the Pac-12. Um, a couple overs that I like: Cal at six, Oregon State at four and a half, Stanford at four. I feel like that's just a program thing. I kind of think Oregon State this could be the year. You know, you break through and get to a bowl game. Are there any of those that you like? Any of those that you don't like? Yeah, I, I really like Stanford. I, I know their schedule is very difficult, but based upon a track record under David Shaw, it's kind of like the Michigan thing. Uh, last season was just so unusual, and Stanford got better from game one to the end of the season. So I would almost bank on Stanford navigating a tough uh, schedule to, to hit the, the over. It certainly maybe get to a bowl game. I like Cal, too, kind of the same thing, over, proven quarterback, kind of proven head coach and Justin Wilcox, too. So I'm definitely on board with overs for Cal and Stanford. And I'll throw one out there, too. I really like Utah. Um, I think with everything going on at Arizona State, I think USC's offensive line question marks are pretty big. Uh, I would take the over for Utah. I've seen it eight, eight and a half. I think they win the Pac-12 South this year. Yeah, I was kind of looking at Utah getting odds on them to win the entire Pac-12, but they weren't as good as I hoped for, so... Um, but I do like that one. I like Utah as well. The under that I liked in this conference was Washington State. It's it's at six, and I could see them winning six, but I'm having a hard time finding them win seven. So if I'm having trouble doing that, then I guess worst case it'd be a push, but I could also see them winning only four or five games as well this year. 
Sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We have them at five in our preseason magazine, and they also get they have a tough non-conference game against BYU. So you combined a tricky non-conference game with how close Oregon State, Stanford, Cal are going to be, even though they're going to get some of those games at home. I'm just not sure that the pieces are there to get the six, seven wins. If, I, if I'm looking at Washington State, they're much closer to a four and eight or five and seven type team this year. Okay, on to the SEC, and then I'll, I'll get some uh, other questions about these these Power Five conferences from you. But um, really, only one stood out to me here. I feel like a lot of them are, are pretty close to what I'm kind of thinking they're going to do. But Florida, the under is nine, and this is kind of the same thing about you know if it's at a flat number and you figure that might be the most likely situation, which 9-3 and three probably is the most likely situation, what do you think is more likely? Is it finishing below or above? Because at that point, you're getting your money back. And I'm, I'm having trouble with their schedule seeing them getting to double-digit wins this season. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Because otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that the under 9 might be a smart play. I think when you look at their schedule and you see – Alabama and uh, Georgia, which are probably two losses, and you add in a road trip to LSU, and you know certainly Kentucky at, at mm-hmm. Lexington could be interesting. I would look at the under for Florida. If you're getting nine and a half, I think eight nine is much more likely. It's really hard for me to see them hitting double digits, especially when you take into account those games against top five teams. And also with just the transition, a defense with some question marks, a new quarterback, it seems like eight and four and nine and three is the right territory for Florida this year. Okay, so as far as those five power conferences, any teams that I didn't bring up that um, you might think might end up being a little overrated to where we're looking at them right now, or any teams that you think I didn't bring up that uh, you really think could have a nice little breakout season here? I really like Ole Miss. You know, I've seen the over-under at seven, seven and a half, and this is an offense under Lane Kiffin with Matt Corral back at quarterback. They are going to score a ton of points this year. They did last season. They gave Alabama a lot of trouble. They just couldn't stop anybody. They gave up almost 40 points a game. It might be that same way this year. It might be a roller coaster from week to week. But I think eight and four or even nine and three is very, you know, likely for this team. I think they could pick off LSU. They didn't play Texas A&M last year, but if Texas A&M's quarterback situation doesn't uh, pan out like we think, uh, that could be a gettable game too. So I think if you're looking for value within the SEC, if you can get Ole Miss at seven or seven and a half, I really like Lane Kiffin's team this year as a potential breakout team. All right, we're talking with Stephen Lassen here on Rock Shark Sports Talk. So we'll finish up with the group of five. In the AAC, I think the one that stood out the most is SMU at over under six. I, I feel like this could be a team that contends for maybe even as many as eight or nine wins. I This might be my favorite bet overall on the board. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on maybe some of the teams from the uh, American Athletic Conference? I think SMU is definitely undervalued, and I think it's for for two reasons. Number one, they're replacing Shane Buchel at quarterback, but they have two pretty good options in, in Tanner Mordecai, the, the Oklahoma transfer, Preston Stone, the freshman, the talented true freshman. Also, SMU has brought in a lot of transfers from Power 5 teams. Their talent level is you know pretty high compared to the rest of the conference. So I think if you're looking for overs in the American, I would take a look at SMU. I've seen Tulane is right around five. I think under Willie Fritz, getting to a bowl game is very likely. 
So I like the overs with SMU, Tulane. I would probably maybe even play the under on Memphis if you can get them at seven, seven and a half. And uh, Navy is one of those ones I like too. Very low, three and a half, but the track record uh, of Navy under that coaching staff is very good. So I would take the over uh, for the midshipmen this year. What are your thoughts on Cincinnati being at 10 with a tough non-conference slate? I would stay away from, from Cincinnati. I, I think that the two non-conference games are, I mean, certainly they're going to be an underdog to Notre Dame. I think it's a toss-up on the Indiana matchup, depending on what materializes uh, with the quarterback situation at Indiana. So I, I would probably stay away from Cincinnati's bet. If you could get them at 11.5, i take the under. If you're looking at 10, you know, I'd probably take 10-2. and two. That seems to be the most likely scenario for Cincinnati this year. Uh, the Conference USA and the Sun Belt, we'll just group these ones together. Um, any ones that stick out to you for me, UAB, Florida International, Louisiana Tech are all ones that I'm looking at the over in the Sun Belt. I, I think Arkansas State and Georgia Southern can give you more than four and four and a half. I guess I'm just an optimist on these two conferences. I don't have any underpicks, but is there anybody that sticks out in either of those? I think the first thing I would say is stay away from the East Division teams. They have Marshall, <laughs> FAU, and WKU are just so close together. It's a division that is very difficult to predict. Uh, I think if you're betting on teams in Conference USA, I would definitely bet UAB. I think they're the best team in the conference. They have the best track record, and they also have a lot of momentum with the new stadium. I think they are going to be, you know, pretty solid right there, kind of nine and three, maybe even ten and two this year. Uh, UTSA is another team I like to overachieve. I think I've seen them, you know, depending on where you look, seven and a half, uh, eight sometimes. I think you could get them if you could get them in the sevens and sixes. Definitely look at at eight and four. I, in the Sun Belt, I've seen Louisiana, uh, you know, as low as nine. And of course, you know, they were they beat Iowa State last season, finished in the top twenty-five. I know they won some close games and had some close calls, but. You know, the Sun Belt is so top-heavy, and they do not play Coastal Carolina in the regular season. So I, I know they lived on the edge, but nine seems like 10-2, and two, even with the opener at Texas, is pretty realistic for the Cajuns. Okay, uh, the two M conferences, the MAC and the Mountain West, um, two that stick out to me in the MAC, and I feel like this can be a little difficult sometimes, pegging just when you're you're uh, predicting on the MAC with Maction and how crazy that can be <laughs> every week, but... Kent State, I was surprised to see their number was as little as five, and then I looked at the schedule and was like, oh, well, that's why. They play a really tough schedule. But I still think this Kent State team could give you six or seven wins over the course of the season. And, and the same thing for Miami of Ohio. They're at five. I The over on both of those. In the Mountain West, um, San Jose State, that's my mom's alma mater, so got to take the over there at seven and a half, but I kind of like that anyway. Um Boise State and Nevada are really interesting to me in that conference as well. So what are your what are your thoughts on uh, the two conferences that start with the letter M? I think in the MAC, you know, you mentioned Kent State and, and Miami. And when you look at the rest of the division, there's just transition. Uh, Buffalo's got a new coach. Ohio has a new coach. So I would bet on the sure things in the conference, which is Kent State and Miami. So I like those two teams to overachieve, you know, kind of preseason expectations. So much of kind of you know, expectations and production in the MAC is about a good head coach and a good quarterback, and Kent State has both of those. So even though the non-conference is tough, I still think they're one of those teams that with that high-powered offense in conference play, they could get to 6-2 and two 
in the league and win the division. So I like Kent State as a kind of a great value pick. In the Mountain West, I, I was surprised that San Jose State has been so low in the win total odds. They won the conference last year. They bring back a lot of pieces. I would take the over with San Jose State, Nevada, and Fresno State. I really like this Fresno State team. I think they are going to score a ton of points. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to stop a lot of teams, but they're going to score. In Nevada, with Carson Strong, um, potential NFL draft pick, and a bunch of talent at receiver, I know they open up with Cal and they have to play Boise State, uh, but I like this Nevada team potentially to, to win that West Division over San Jose State. So I think if you're looking for overs, San Jose State, Fresno State, and Nevada are very appealing. Yeah, I think the biggest ones that I was really high on were SMU and Nevada because I could see both those teams winning two or three more games than they're projected to. Nevada at seven and a half. I could see them winning nine, ten games. So uh, as far as the independents, that's all that's left. Um, Notre Dame at nine, that seems right around where they should be. Liberty's at nine. I don't know if maybe they could crack up to ten. Honestly, the only one that intrigued me in terms of being a number that I thought I liked was one that I don't really want to bet on because I don't really want to watch the games, um, nor I don't know where they're going to be on TV. But UConn is over under two and a half. Looking at their schedule, they should be able to get three or four out of that, right? I, I agree with you. I, I love these bets, man. Throwing out UConn. I thought <laughs> you were going to go with the Mexico State, and my, my radar was like, all right, let's talk some Aggies. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would take the UConn over there. I think three, maybe even four is uh, is pretty realistic there for the Huskies. Okay, so that's all I got for you as far as that goes. Um, just in terms of winning the title, would you be going with your Clemson or Alabamas, or would you go somewhere further down the list if you were having to place kind of a value bet? I think if you're looking at value, I would look – I mean, I guess, first of all, I think there's only five teams that realistically can win it all this year, and that's Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Georgia. And I think within that, if you're looking for value, I like Oklahoma and Georgia the most. Um, if Georgia wins that opener against Clemson, that's huge for playoff positioning down the road. They'll get a shot at Alabama most likely in the SEC championship game. And, and I like what Oklahoma's done defensively. They're much better on that side of the ball. And, of course, Spencer Rattler in that high-powered offense. So I think – there's probably not a lot of value in putting down on Alabama and Clemson, even though I think that's probably the national championship. I think Georgia and Oklahoma are kind of the, the value picks for me if I had to put some money down on teams. He is Stephen Lassen. Go buy yourself an Athlon Sports Preview magazine. They've got awesome stuff in there. Uh, you can even check them out online at Athlon Sports. I have the digital subscription online where you get a bunch of different magazines, and that's Pretty cool as well. Steven, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and hopping on and helping me uh, preview the college football season, and hopefully we can make some people uh, a few dollars here or there. But, uh, yeah, don't be mad at Steven. Be mad at me if uh, any of them mess up. Steven, thanks again, man. <laughs> hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on. It's almost here. The offseason's almost over. All right, that was Steven Lassen of Athlon Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN. Depend on it.